Hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series and podcast. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Amir Tahiri, an Iranian-born columnist, editor-in-chief, and author, join us to discuss Iran's counter-revolution. Mr. Tahiri will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. Amir Tahiri. Thank you very much uh, for inviting me. Uh, I've been following the Middle East Forum for years. You are doing a lot of uh, good things for the Middle East and also for the understanding of our region across the world. Well, as I'm talking to you, I'm uh, being bombarded on my telephone. Actually, I had to turn it off by news from Iran. Uh, the latest is a mass demonstration in Isfahan, a city in central Iran, and during a football match between a Russian uh, squad and uh, the local squad. Uh, and the Iranians came with uh, Ukrainian uh, flags and shouts of Russia out of Ukraine. Before that, we had uh, a conference of uh, Iranian engineers during which uh, you know, they were supposed to elect uh, the new executive board uh, of the organization. And they said that women cannot stand for election, uh, you know, as members of the executive board. So one of the women there went uh, on the platform, uh, took her scarf, her Islamic hijab off and threw it away at uh, Ayatollah Khamenei's giant uh, picture uh, in the hall. Um, before that, we had that Friday uh, prayers in the city of Zahedan, which is the capital of the southeastern province of Sistan and Baluchistan, during which uh, the Friday uh, prayer leader, who is a, a theologian, uh, asked for change uh, in Iran, fundamental change, said uh, people are fed up with the present situation, uh, this regime cannot continue. There are also reports of uh, other demonstrations elsewhere. And of course, Iranians abroad are right now uh, demonstrating in Brussels, in, in front of the European Parliament, and uh, in Munich, where there is this uh, uh, annual uh, security forum taking place with uh, three representatives of Iranian opposition invited for the first time and the representatives of the Islamic Republic excluded. So it is really a very strange uh, situation. You know, it looks like uh, something is going to happen. I don't know, you know, I'm not a prophet, but what is sure is that a large number of Iranians, uh, maybe even a majority, have reached the conclusion that the 44-year experience of uh, Islamic Republic um, has uh, not done Iran any good, to put it uh, mildly. Um, since uh, the latest uh, protests started about uh, five months ago, over 600 people have been killed in the streets by security forces. There have been uh, at least eight executions, summary executions, um, which uh, took place against the laws of the Islamic Republic itself. Over 20,000 people were arrested. Well, half of them have now been released. Um, it's really the, the grim picture. 
it seems to me that the conditions for regime change in Iran uh, are being assembled. You know, many years ago, uh, I said uh, five conditions uh, for regime change, not only in Iran, but elsewhere. And it seems to me that these five conditions are being fulfilled. And the first condition is uh, the loss of legitimacy. The present regime in Iran uh, had its legitimacy through revolution, through some sort of elections, through promises of improving people's lives and so on. And it has failed in all of those and uh, therefore has lost its uh, uh, legitimacy. It has uh, cheated in elections. The second uh, uh, condition said was that a part of the regime and supporters of the regime break away from it. And this is happening too. Now we have former presidents, former prime minister, lots of uh, military and uh, political former officials uh, parting ways uh, with the present regime, uh, which has become a kind of a closed uh, uh, circuit of uh, religious uh, mafiosi military individuals. The third condition is the emergence of uh, a, an alternative source of moral authority. This has also happened with uh, human rights activists, with uh, writers, with uh, uh, sports stars, you know, famous footballers, footballers, um, uh, cinema directors and actors and actresses. Uh, people listen to them now. Uh, more than they listen to uh, the regime. The next uh, condition is um, that the part of the uh, coercive forces of the regime begin to uh, break away from it. This is also happening. Um, even part of the Revolutionary Guard uh, is now refusing to uh, uh, crack down against uh, the protesters, and the, the regime is more and more relying on uh, uh, special forces, you know, in civilian clothes and, and so on. And finally, the the last uh, condition, which has not yet been uh, assembled, in my opinion, is the emergence of uh, at least, you know, the contours of an alternative uh, system. Uh, many people are working on that, but, you know, a society like nature abhors a vacuum. So um, unless this vacuum is filled, you know, the present uh, a revolution or counter-revolution or uprising uh, uh, will not succeed this time. But what is important is uh, it may take uh, another six months, another year, I don't know how, how long, but the present regime uh, can no longer uh, uh, save itself. It is in a dire economic uh, situation with inflation topping 80%, uh, uh, national currency in free fall, uh, mass migration of uh, skilled people, you know, brain drain, you know, the, the, according to the International Monetary Fund, the biggest brain drain in history, or at least since uh, records began, and discontent uh, all over the place. You know, we have over 900 uh, uh, towns uh, in Iran, and uh, by my count, in the past uh, few months, uh, more than 700 of them have been involved in, in protests of one kind uh, or another. And uh, the regime does not have enough uh, uh, coercive forces to uh, crush uh, 
these these protests. In some cases, for example, in the city of the Boucher, um, not the Persian Gulf, or in the city of Qazvin, uh, northwest of Tehran, uh, protesters even seized control of government buildings uh, for a few hours. But because uh, you know the movement at the at present uh, has only horizontal. Uh, uh, leaders, that is to say, you know, the feet leaders, but it doesn't have a vertical leadership uh, um, structure. Uh, it, it did not succeed in uh, keeping the places seized and uh, put together an alternative uh, government and uh, show to Iranians that if the present regime uh, collapses, there will not be a vacuum. Um, fear of a vacuum uh, is also uh, felt by uh, major powers interested in Iran. Um, the Europeans, when you talk to them, they say, well, you know, uh, the present regime is a terrible regime, exporter of terrorism, etc. But we don't want uh, a, a collapse, uh, the creation of uh, a vacuum, which would which could produce millions of uh, migrants, like what happened in Syria, uh, Iran becoming another haven for terrorism. Uh, in the region, uh, disruption of oil supplies in the Persian Gulf, you know, all the uh, terrible scenarios. So the attention at the moment must be focused on persuading the different uh, segments of the Iranian opposition, which has been divided uh, for a long time to come together. This, is, this has been happening uh, um, in the past year or so, at least, uh, some domains. Uh, for the first time, they all agree that uh, this regime cannot be reformed and it must go. This is this has been a very important first step. Uh, secondly, they have all uh, agreed that uh, the, whatever is the next regime, it must uh, uh, respect uh, human rights. It must have normal relations with all all countries. It must respect uh, differences in religion, in language, and so on. But you know what? What is needed, and uh, as far as I know, um, various opposition groups are working on it, is to create, uh, um, if you like, a council of coordination uh, to bring all these groups uh, together and uh, uh, offer a credible and coherent uh, program for a program for the period of transition um, in Iran. Uh, this transition uh, could not happen within the uh, present constitutional system, which um, bans any, uh, prevents any referendum. Uh, it uh, asserts that uh, the Islamic nature of the regime uh, can never be changed, and uh, any uh, uh, reference to uh, people's will, uh, a plebiscite or a referendum, must be approved by the Supreme Guide. So um, it cannot happen, change cannot happen within the present uh, framework. The alternative is to go back to the constitution of 1906, uh, which is an open system. It uh, allows Iran to uh, become a monarchy or a republic. Um, it allows uh, referendums. Uh, it allows uh, uh, people a, a real choice. This is the debate that is going on at the moment. Uh, <clears throat> it has not concluded yet tomorrow. Um, There'll be two important meetings, one in London among um, opposition groups uh, to discuss uh, this very topic, 
and another one um, in Rome among other groups uh, to see uh, what comes out of it. Um, it's, it's time to watch Iran very closely because interesting things are going to happen. Thank you. All right, thank you so much. Uh, so the first question we have in is from Steve. Uh, you mentioned that uh, the attention must be focused on uh, bringing together the different segments of uh, the Iranian population. Steve asked, what percentage of the population do Azeris, uh, Baluchis, and the Kurds represent, and can they be brought in? Well, they're, they're all, all in it. You know, they're, they are actually, you know, in, in Baluchistan, for example, as I said, it is uh, one of the hottest centers of uh, uh, protest, but they are not doing so as Baluchis, they are doing so as Iranians. They're, uh, prayer leader today said we are all Iranians and what we want is for all Iranians. Uh, the same in, in Kurdish areas, um, which is very difficult, you know, to, to define because uh, Kurds are all over, in, all over Iran. They are not just in the province of Kurdistan, which is a very small uh, province, but they, they are also uh, present uh, even in Khorasan, which is near Central Asia. And, um, present near Tehran, the city of Karaj, for example, uh, southwest of Tehran, is uh, probably the second largest Kurdish city in Iran after Kermanshah, which is in another province. So, you know, it's not a question of uh, ethnicities and, and so on, because uh, uh, Iran has a very long history, you know, and uh, it's, it's not, it is not, uh, you know, if you like a hodgepodge of uh, different groups. Uh, and so on. These people have been together for a very, very long time. All right, thank you. Uh, Daniel Pipes actually asked, do you support any exiled leaders or groups? Sorry? Uh, Daniel Pipes asked, do you support any exiled leaders or groups? Uh, personally, you mean? Well, you know, the, the in the... All political uh, struggle, you know, uh, you are uh, your own first choice. Uh, my first choice is not, I mean, I don't mean myself. My first choice is the return to the Constitution of 1906, which uh, allows us, you know, to, to have a constituent assembly, allows us to have a referendum, uh, to choose whether we want to be a constitutional monarchy or we want to be a republic or whatever, because it's an open system. But I will support uh, any second choice that can offer uh, regime change in Iran, because you know what I want is uh, regime change, uh, change in Iran. For the time being, um, uh, you know, we have uh, uh, two, uh, if you like, prominent uh, leaders emerging. One is uh, Crown Prince uh, Reza Pahlavi, which is uh, the standard bearer of uh, constitutional uh, monarchy. And um, another one is the a group of uh, labor leaders in Iran, which have uh, issued a 12-point statement, you know, saying lots of things that I like, you know, equality of men and women, freedom of parties, press freedom, you know, I'm a journalist, and, and, and so on. So uh, it is possible, you know, to create um, a synthesis of all, all these, and it's no longer a question of one man because millions of people in iran are involved in this and uh, don't forget that um, iranians have a long history of uh, political activity and social progress for example um, i saw uh, 
an American news magazine, New Yorker, you know, uh, published an article as if, you know, uh, women's movement or uh, uh, feminism started in Iran three months ago by, by a few people. Whereas, you know, uh, the, the fact is that it started 150 years ago. And uh, uh, Iranian women took part in the Constitutional Revolution, even took uh, arms, you know, to fight the Russian troops that have had come to Iran to support the despotic Shah at the time. So, you know, the Iranian women, uh, uh, you know, uh, it will, might be interesting uh, for you to know that uh, the first woman pilot in the world was Betty Stewart in the US, 1910. The second, was an Iranian woman in 1919. You know, the, the first, uh, uh, you know, in uh, 1978, you know, just before the Islamic Revolution, there were more women, Iranian women, in the Iranian parliament than in the British parliament. Uh, Iranian women had uh, the right to vote and get elected. <laughs> but I don't know, you were frozen suddenly. What happened? Oh, I don't know what happened. Uh, I think we lost you for a bit, um, but we have... Anyway, I'm waiting for more questions. Wonderful. Well, we have quite a few questions that are in. Uh, so Carrie Hillebrand, actually quite a few people have asked about, uh, are you seeing the cracks in the IRGC? And is that what is necessary in order to, to have this uh, overthrow of the regime? Well, you know, the IRGC is really... the a kind of franchise. It's not a, a uniform group because it was created after the revolution. It is not, you know, a, a revolutionary army like the Chinese Liberation Army or the Algerian National Liberation Army. Uh, and uh, it was never clear what is its duty because uh, uh, is it uh, an ordinary army to protect the borders? Is it to uh, crush dissent, uh, etc.? And gradually, it has become a kind of um, a business syndicate. You know, its um, uh, various structure is divided into five different uh, commands, which cannot uh, communicate with each other directly. They have to communicate through the office of the supreme leader. So it's really not uh, a unified armed force. Then it has. Uh, a number of addenda, for example, the Quds Force of General Soleimani, late General Soleimani, who is supposed to go and liberate Jerusalem. Uh, it is not controlled by, by the IRGC, but it gets its money and, uh, if you like, uh, some of its personnel from the IRGC. Uh, then there are, uh, you know, the it's very difficult. It's a jungle or a jumble of uh, different bits and pieces. It is also the biggest uh, construction contractor in Iran. It, it has uh, 25 uh, jetties in Iranian ports to import and export whatever it likes. It has uh, its own uh, representatives abroad. Uh, six uh, key embassies are controlled by it in the region. So it is uh, diplomatic, it is business, it is military, it is... Uh, uh, if you like, uh, a money laundering uh, system. And uh, uh, right now, the, the government is going to denationalize or privatize about $20 billion of uh, uh, national assets uh, in order to raise money for a budget deficit. And uh, they're going to be bought by uh, companies owned uh, by the Revolutionary Guards. 
and the chief of the Revolutionary Guard, General Salami, sits on 32 uh, boards of 32 companies. Imagine you know, if uh, he is uh, attending uh, these boards three or four times a year, you know, uh, how much time he has to run anything. And uh, at the same time, he makes about, uh, I don't know, 40, 50 speeches a year as well. So uh, he's just there, you know, with uh, uniform and lots of medals, more than a general in Operetta. Uh, but uh, I can't take the IRGC as a military organization. It is really a mixture of uh, lots of different things. So in that light, JLS, in order for a regime change to take place, do the security forces have to abandon the clerics and join with the public? And how likely is that to happen? And is there any parallel to the overthrow of the Shah? Well, I don't think there is a, a parallel to the overthrow of, of the Shah because each uh, changes as its own uh, different uh, grammar. Um, security forces at the moment we have nine different security organizations and uh, uh, many of them are in competition with each other and even arrest each other's members for example some of the dual nationals you know Iran Americans or Iran French and so on who are now hostages in Iran they are the very people who have been propagandists uh, for the uh, Islamic Republic in the US or in Europe they go back, but another branch of a rival uh, security organization uh, arrests them and uses them uh, as a pawn in uh, negotiations with foreign powers or uh, rivalries within the regime. For example, the uh, Islamic Republic ha has a, a big lobby in the US called Dayak, National Iranian uh, uh, American, I don't know, Council and things like that. Um, none of their members now dare go to Iran because, you know, they will be arrested. One of them, who's, uh, I knew his father, you know, in the time of the Shah, he was an ambassador, ambassador to uh, Tokyo. Uh, he, he was in Frankfurt. He telephoned me, he said, I'm, I'm on the way to Iran, but they told me, don't come, you will get arrested. So, you know, for the past uh, at least uh, four years, none of the Iranian lobbyists in the U.S. have been able to go back to Iran because uh, the rival faction will, will arrest them. You know, the, this is a very big problem. You know, you have now uh, over 2,000 mullahs who are in prison in Iran. You know, and this is supposed to be a, a I don't know, where a clerical regime and so on. Why? Because, you know, one uh, faction is against uh, a rival faction. Uh, and all of them uh, concentrate uh, uh, around uh, Ayatollah Khamenei, the, the supreme guide, uh, who may not be there forever. You know, he's, uh, I don't know, 85 years old, 86 years old. Uh, even if he's in good health, you know, he, he wouldn't have the energy, you know, to run uh, all these disparate parts of uh, the regime, which uh, uh, really cannot be, uh, I don't know, recognized as a normal state. You know, because in a normal state, you have a decision-making mechanism uh, that can uh, prevent something from happening and make something happen that it is in Iran is not like that. You know, Ayatollah Khamenei, for example, the Supreme Guide, in the past five years, he has issued four fatwas, these are religious edicts, that women uh, cannot ride bicycles. 
but there are 4 million uh, women in Iran who ride bicycles to work. They just don't listen to him. He, he can't impose it. He doesn't have uh, the, the power to do that. Uh, every now and then he comes and issues a national edict that uh, we must bring prices down. You know, but prices don't come down with a, a religious edict. You know, there, there is uh, an economic uh, reason behind it. So it's not uh, difficult to uh, see that uh, this abnormality is uh, the very nature of the regime. You know, it, it cannot, uh, you know, it, it has been in negotiations with the US about this uh, nuclear issue for 20 years. For 20 years, you know, the, and most of them in secret because, you know, they, don't, they want to say we hate America, but at the same time, we want to benefit from America. And President Obama, of course, your president uh, played that game with them, you know, and uh, uh, encouraged them, you know, to uh, do uh, secret diplomacy and so on. Uh, but they cannot decide, you know, uh, even if you give them something very nice, they can't take it. Because this is, uh, uh, you know, like the, the mechanical doll, which could only say no, 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 no. They can only say no. You know, they, they can never say yes, even to uh, something that is uh, to their advantage. Thank you. And if you wouldn't mind us running just a few minutes longer. Oh, <laughs> please go ahead. Wonderful. So Stephen Orlo asks, uh, how do you envision the actual change of the regime taking place? A storming of the Bastille type of revolution or something different? And along with your last point, is there a place for the U.S. and the EU to to help in some sort of way? Well, you know, the, uh, any change of regime is a revolution. You know, it could happen peacefully, it could happen unpeacefully. You know, the, the, the Soviet Union collapsed uh, within a few weeks uh, and, uh, you know, there was regime change, but you couldn't call it a revolution. Uh, the same, you know, in uh, former Soviet satellite uh, states. So they, there will be regime change in Iran. It's, it's inevitable now. You know, I can't put a date on it, but uh, this regime is uh, sell by date has passed. Uh, can the Europeans and the United States help? Of course, they can. They can help uh, for two reasons. First of all, um, in Iran, like in other so-called developing countries, uh, the power of uh, the big powers is overestimated. You know, we, we think that the U.S. and the European Union are more powerful than they really are. And psychologically, it's very important. So if there is a perception that these powers are supporting the present regime, it will discourage a lot of Iranians. So the first thing, uh, they, are, they are beginning to understand it. Actually, uh, the Biden administration less than the European, because the Biden administration is still trying to uh, keep channels open uh, to the Islamic Republic. I don't know uh, why, but you know the the signals they are sending are uh, discouraging uh, the Iranian opposition. But the Europeans uh, are understanding it uh, better. And the second thing they, they can do, for example, the U.S. played a very important role in uniting the Iraqi opposition. You know, uh, I was as a journalist. I was in contact with all the Iraqi opposition. They were not even ready to talk to each other. Then the U.S. came and became uh, and served as a shoulder on which they could cry. So they brought them together, and uh, if they gave concessions to each other, they could say, "Oh, we did it because the Americans said that." So you know, they wouldn't lose face. 
which means um, uh, the U.S. played the role of a facilitator. Uh, the same thing in Afghanistan, the same thing in, in Poland, you know, in, in a different uh, uh, context. Um, because the perception is that the U.S. Uh, has both the power and the will uh, to help you, you know, uh, to reconstruct your country, to uh, uh, solidify uh, the next regime and so on. At the, at the same time, the U.S. is not uh, a regular imperialist power, you know, because they don't want to uh, come and live in your country. There'll be no mass migration of Americans to your, to your land, you know, to colonize you and things like that. In fact, the history of the U.S. shows that um, they want to get rid of you, you know, like the Philippines, I don't know, like even today, Puerto Rico, the Americans don't want to, to annex uh, uh, other people's uh, territories. So they can, you know, but at the moment, um, it's very difficult for me to read uh, uh, the Biden administration's uh, approach to the Iranian situation. Thank you. Amini Ayubi uh, asks, I would like to know if there is any interest in of Iran in Africa. Do you know? It's very the minimal, you know, at the moment, because it, they, they, they used to um, have very good relations with Sudan when it was the Islamic uh, Republic of Sudan, but Sudan is no longer the Islamic Republic. At that time, um, uh, the Islamic uh, Republic had a naval base in Port Sudan. Um, it had a very uh, important intelligence uh, organization there. They gave lots of <coughs> military and financial support to uh, President al-Bashir's uh, regime. Um, for a while, uh, the Islamic Republic uh, helped the uh, uh, fundamentalist Islamists in Algeria, but then later they made a deal with the Algerian military and abandoned them. Uh, at the moment, uh, the only uh, African uh, country open to them, because they also lost Zimbabwe after uh, Robert Mugabe's fall, uh, is uh, Mauritania, where uh, the Islamic Republic uh, Foreign Minister Mr. Amir Abdullahian visited uh, a couple of weeks ago. But even there, you know, the, the Mauritanian uh, president uh, received the Islamic uh, minister uh, for just a courtesy call of 15 minutes, you know. So um, I don't think, you know, uh, uh, because, you know, the Islamic Republic has become a kind of warning, you know, rather than a model, you know, for uh, especially for uh, Muslim countries in, uh, in South, South, Sub-Saharan uh, Africa. Yeah. You know, they had the uh, big trouble uh, with Nigeria because they were um, trying to uh, spread Shiism while most of the Nigerian Muslims are Sunnis. They supported the so-called Zaksaki movement, which was a violent uh, yeah, Shiite movement and so on. So they, they don't have a good press, you know, they are, um, even relations with uh, South Africa, which used to be not, not too bad or so-so, because Iran uh, owned um, a refinery there, oil refinery, Sasselberg, and supplied uh, lots of oil to South Africa, but even that uh, is no longer uh, the case. All right, well, thank you. And uh, you started this talk off by saying you're not a prophet, but uh, Jack Wasserman asks, what is the short-term future of Iran? And we'll sum it up with that. 
But the short-term uh, future of Iran is as good as its long-term future. The Iranian people are alive. Uh, they are combative. You know, they are uh, proud of their uh, uh, cultural heritage. They have uh, fantastic natural resources. Uh, you know, in uh, 85 million uh, population, we are one of the top uh, 20 most populated and largest countries in the world. Uh, we have lots of natural resources. We have uh, 15 million university graduates, which is unique, you know, in uh, the so-called uh, developing world. So uh, I'm very optimistic about uh, Iran's future. Well, that's very good to hear. Uh, before we go, can you tell our viewers where we can find some more of your work? Well, I don't know. The, you can find my books on, on Amazon, but I don't want to do any uh, marketing, you know. I'm very glad to have uh, talked to you. All right. Well, wonderful. We're very glad that you uh, came on and were able to join us for our webinar. Thank you again, Mr. Tahiri, for joining us today. Thank you very much and goodbye. Okay. For our viewers, please be on the lookout for our weekly webinar offerings email coming out over the weekend. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful day. Good.